So if you are just now joining us online, I want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in His image. And we're going to be talking, as Wynn said earlier in the service today, about growing in His image and that piece of our purpose statement and what we are about here. Uh, so as, as, uh, as we come into the United Methodist Church, we as ordain, uh, ordained clergy, when we come in in the ordination service, there are certain questions that are asked of us that are historical questions that Wesley penned way back when. We've been doing this for several hundred years now. And, and as the bishop comes, he asks us questions. And one of them is, are you going on to perfection? And we're supposed to say yes. And then the next question is, do you expect to be made perfect in this lifetime? We're supposed to say, by God's grace, I do. A number of years ago, Bishop Earl Hunt was doing one of these ordination services, and he had the ordinands lined up in front of them, and he was asking these questions, and he asked that question, are you going on to perfection? And, and all of them but one said yes, and one of them said no, and the bishop stopped. And then in what I'm sure was the longest moment in that person's life, he walked over and stood in front of that ordinand, and he said, then son, what are you going on to? Uh, so that's the question I want to ask you this morning. What are you going on to? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for being with us this morning, and we ask that your spirit would be in the midst of us and that you would hold us together in your love and open our minds and our spirits to what you would say. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Years ago, I heard someone do this, and I wasn't sure about, um, you know, exactly you know, how that worked out, although it's filled in since then in my mind and in my heart. And he talked about the process of salvation. He said, you know, when you're born, you're, you're born over here. I'm not sure what my range is, but you're born over here in life, and, and you grow up in the church, and you learn the things and all this kind of stuff as you're growing up. And then at a certain point, usually in our younger years, younger years, we kind of wander off and do our own thing for a while. And eventually, you come back to Christ and what is a conversion experience and a powerful experience of God's grace and love and forgiveness and mercy. And, and then, you know, you, you live a number of other years till you reach the end of your life when you die and you go to heaven. And his point, he said, is if the whole point of salvation is for you to get into heaven, why is it then that when you have that conversion experience and, and you give yourself to God and God gives himself to you, why doesn't God just take you home then? Now, why does God leave you here then for the rest of those years until you die? I mean, what's the, what's the purpose of that? And that really is the question is, what, what are you going on to in the rest of those years of your life? Paul would offer this uh, advice out of the book of Romans. He would say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Several years ago, I was doing a word study uh, on this passage and kind of digging into it, and, and a couple of things jumped out at me. One, where it talks about the renewing of your minds there, the word renewing is, is actually the word we usually use for repentance, to repent, to, to turn 180 degrees, to change from where you have been going to where God calls you. Uh, and the, the word transform there is actually the word metamorphosis. 
Uh, and, and it's more radical of a call on our lives than what we often want to uh, admit and what we often realize. If you think about a metamorphosis, look up the definition, uh, the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages, a change in the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. You hear that? The change of form or nature of a person into a completely different one by, by natural or supernatural means. That's what Paul is talking about in that Romans 3, this metamorphosis, this change into something entirely different that comes by the repentance of our mind, a, a complete 180 degree. It's not, a, it's not a subtle change. It's not a little slight improvement. It's not getting a little better. Uh, it, it's a radical kind of change, kind of like when we go from the, the caterpillar to the butterfly. You know, if you didn't know better, you'd never guess they're the same thing. Uh, that's what Paul is talking about here, this radical transformation, metamorphosis of who we are that is wrought by, in our case, the supernatural means of God's grace. And we see that demonstrated in his life, and when we read through his life story and his conversion. So I'm going to take you back to Acts 9 for a minute, which we've been uh, reading some passages out of. And it begins with, with Saul, which is the Hebrew name for Paul. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Isn't that, isn't that a great breathing threats and murder? You just, you just hear the animosity and the hatred come out of it. It's so much in him, he's breathing it out. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He is so much entrenched in this that he, he is the executioner uh, of the Jewish faith at this point in, in Paul's mind and in his heart. Now I want you to, to remember, he's going to have this conversion experience. He's going to encounter the person of Christ on the road to Damascus. And it, it's going to completely change him. He's going to repent, change 180 degrees. And, and this is what then he becomes. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked his name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And after some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. You know, one of the things when, when we have this kind of an experience in our life where we have this transformation of who we are, this radical change. I mean, Paul, you know, at this point, he's, he's, he's gone from being the, the executioner, the, the, you know, the one that tracks down the Christians and, and brings them uh, in for their, you know, what he thought was justice. He's gone from that to now he is the, the champion of Christ, the apostle of Christ. I mean, he's made this radical change. And you notice that the people that he originally worked with now, uh, the leaders of the Jewish synagogues, uh, they're unhappy with him. They don't understand it. They can't make sense out of it. And they plot to kill him. And when we have that kind of encounter in our lives, a lot of times it's the people who know us the best and who are the closest to us who have the hardest time accepting the reality of it. Um, in my own life, there was a point in time when, when I realized that uh, there were some friendships that were going to have to become more distant and, and there were some relationships that were just going to have to go away because those folks could not deal with what God was working in me. Um, that metamorphosis is a powerful thing. It's a wonderful thing. 
it can also be a very challenging thing. Their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. The, the people he originally went to, to arrest and have executed now are saving his life. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord." Talk about a metamorphosis to go from someone who is tracking down and arresting the early followers of the way, the early Christians, uh, so that they could be executed. He now becomes the champion, the apostle for Christ. That's the kind of change he's talking about. It's a, a radical transformation, a complete reorientation of who he is, and everything has changed. And that's the kind of change that we talk about when we talk about growing in his image. And yet my fear in, in, in too many cases is, we, we kind of, you know, make that, uh, oh, you know, kind of a subtle thing. You know, well, we're just going to improve a little bit. We're going to get a little bit better. Or maybe that's something that we just can't even contemplate. Uh, Kevin Watson's kind of captured this, this attitude uh, in his book on the class meeting. He says, the same people who deny original sin, who feel that people are not that bad, are also adamant that nobody is perfect, that no one is capable of living a life free of willful sin. So which is it? Are we capable of avoiding sin or incapable of avoiding sin? The operating view of too many people is something like people aren't all that bad, but they are also incapable of being all that good. What a depressing and inaccurate view of human nature and the possibility of life in Christ. What are you going on to? I mean, is it just kind of like, well, you know, we're not really all that bad, but we can't really be all that good, so we're just going to kind of manage the best. Is, is it this kind of Christian kind of, yeah, you know, kind of mediocre kind of approach uh, to what God can do in our lives? Is that really all that we are longing for, all that we are reaching for? And Wesley would, would say no. He would say by salvation, he would say, I mean, not barely, according to the vulgar nature, deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a present deliverance from sin, a restoration of the soul to its primitive health, the renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness and justice, mercy, and truth. Now that should sound intimidating to you. I, I want to read it again because I, to me it's an intimidating phrase. The renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness and justice, mercy and truth. And this is a profoundly different thing from that kind of Christian mediocrity. And Wesley would talk about it as Christian perfection, that, that God is working in us, restoring us to that original image. This is a metamorphosis. This is a transformation. This isn't just kind of a subtle kind of improvement thing. This is a radical change in who we are. Now I want to be clear with you that there's some things Christian perfection is not. Uh, it's not Christian infallibility. It does not mean that all of a sudden we don't make any mistakes in life, uh, because we will, trust me, um, if you haven't made them yet, you will. Uh, it, it's not superiority. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're suddenly we're better than everyone else. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we tell people when they do walks to Emmaus and so forth is, you know, God, God's grace working in you may have made you better than you were uh, before, but it doesn't make you better than anyone else. 
It's not immunity from life's problems. The fact that we've accepted God into our lives and allowed God to begin working in us does not suddenly you know, make everything in our lives go perfectly. It doesn't you know, protect us from everything. You can still catch COVID. Uh, and it's not an instantaneous faith accompli. And I'm using a little play on words there intentionally. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden your faith is, is full. You know everything. You have no questions. But rather... Christian perfection means perfect love. It's love excluding sin, filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. It's God indwelling us so, so powerfully that God fills who we are until there's no room left in there. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight often, but it's a powerful change of who we are. Paul would encourage the Philippians and say, <clears throat> I haven't, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. And this, this straining forward, this trying to move forward, offering ourselves up continually to God to be at work within us. John Wesley talked about that and used this phrase. He said, God's continually breathing, as it were, upon the believer's soul. And the believer's soul is breathing unto God. Grace is descending into the believer's heart and prayer and praise ascending to heaven. And by this intercourse between God and man or woman, this fellowship with the Father and the Son is by a kind of spiritual respiration. The life of God and the soul is sustained. And the child of God grows up till he or she comes to the full measure of the stature of Christ. I love that, that phrase, spiritual respiration respiration that we're breathing in God's grace and we're breathing out God's praise and, and as we breathe in more of God's Holy Spirit God works more in us and grows us more until we come to the full measure of the stature of Christ this is this isn't some simple kind of self-help program this isn't five easy steps to becoming perfect uh, this is something much more radical than that this is nothing less than a metamorphosis of who we are. In our call statement, we say God calls Bethany to be a community participating in God's mission of love, transforming us and the world. And I want to unpack that just, just a little bit and talk about God's, it is God's love transforming us. It's God's love transforming the world. If we only have it, we only worry about it transforming us, uh, we tend to become self-centered and self-obsessed. And if we only concentrate on transforming the world and not being transformed ourselves, we become the arrogant hypocrites that the world often thinks we are. But I want you to hear in both of those that this is God's love doing the work. It's God's love transforming us. It's God's love transforming the world. It's not about our love doing it. It's about God's love at work in us. And, and Mr. Wesley believed that oftentimes the way we encountered that love most powerfully and grew most powerfully in that love was in the fellowship of other disciples uh, who, who walked that journey with us. So uh, in accord with that, uh, our sister Laura is going to bring us a word uh, this morning about her journey of faith. Hello. 
my name is Laura Faulkner and I came to Bethany not too long ago really wanting to be more solid in my spiritual experience and my faith and to have more more of that in my in my spirit and my body and in my life really and I went about this I was so intentional about this that uh, I actually joined a Bethany Grow group while I was still in the process of becoming a member. So I wasn't even a full member yet before I was really embedded uh, with some people that I learned to trust easily and, and quickly. Through long experience, I knew that a goodly part of my own spiritual fuel has come from the company of others. Someone to cry with me and say, I hear you, I, I know what you're going through, I feel that too. And someone to tell me sometimes that I'm just not a weirdo for feeling or thinking a certain way or, or having a struggle or trouble with, with something. And most important, to have, to have someone there to help me pivot, to give me a different point of view or a different perspective that, that broke me out of, of my own mold or rut or whatever, or whatever I might have been stuck with in any given moment. And my wonderful little grow group has been the easiest possible way to, to get all of this. It's just small enough that, well, it is small enough where I can feel safe and I know that what I share is in confidence. I can, like, I can see everybody at one view and, and know that, that what I have to say is gonna be held and that I'm gonna hold them as close as the closest relationship or friendship or family member. And, and I got this instantly. I didn't have to like create it over years by building those relationships. And, uh, and then it's, it's just big enough that when any one of us is flagging or overwhelmed or really just needs to bring something big and needs a lot of support, there's gonna be more than one other who has the energy and the clarity to give back on any given day. And, and in doing this, we really build each other up to where I, I'd say that, that I see all of us walking out just about every week on more solid footing than we, we came in at the beginning of our our time together and then during the week uh, I know that at any moment I can I could just send a message and out to the group and I have a reliable safety net and I have a clear sounding board and then also I have what I like to call a, an amplifier for joy it's like I have other people that I know are instantly not just gonna say yes that's great but they're gonna say yes hallelujah praise God hallelujah when, when there's something just really glorious and joyful to share. So if, if any of this rings for you, I can really tell you with no hesitation at all that a Bethany Grow Group is a really great place to try it out and see if you get a little bit of this for yourself. Amen. So if you've uh, ever thought about being in a Grow Group and you've wondered about it, I, I don't know that I can put that any more eloquently than Laura did to, to encourage you to consider that as a place to, to join together with a small group of people who are walking this journey together with you uh, of growing in Christ's image. Um, a couple of years ago, J.D. Walt uh, penned a uh, seedbed text that stuck with me. I want to share that with you this morning as we're uh, talking about this because it, he makes a point that I think is really important. The Christian life, or as Paul will describe it to the Colossians, the life hid with Christ in God is not difficult, it is impossible. 
Maybe this is our biggest problem. We think it is difficult, and because of this, we resolve to try harder. When we come up short again and again, we consider it too difficult and settle back into a life of easy believism, cheap grace, and self-satisfied, mediocre, compromised existence, which sounds a lot like what Kevin Watson was talking about. The Christian life is not difficult. This would be to evaluate it on our terms. The Christian life is impossible. It does not require more effort on a human level. It requires the movement to an eternal level of living. Jesus' invitation to us is not meant to elicit more resolve, but deeper surrender. That really struck me because those of us here in the States and Americans, you know, we tend to grow up with that kind of, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrap, you know, we'll figure it out, we'll make it work kind of attitude. And so oftentimes in faith, we do the same thing. We come in this and we hear this about Christian perfection. We hear about growing in the image of God and, and we take it on as a project for ourselves. And the problem is when, it, when it's us, what we end up with when we are trying to do that is not more of God. We end up with more of us. What we desire is more of God, which means there has to be less of us. But when we try to do it on our own, we just end up with more of us, which is probably why we don't succeed in growing in the image of Christ and why the world looks the way it does. I mean, when it's just more of us, we'll talk about peace and we'll work toward peace and we'll still have war. When it's just more of us, we'll talk about racial inequity and the need for racial justice, but the inequity will continue. When it's, when it's just us, we'll talk about spiritual wholeness and health and we'll continue in spiritual disease. When it's just us, more of us, we'll talk about being set free and yet we'll remain chained by our addictions. When it's more of us, we'll talk about righteousness but we'll continue in sin. I mean, it, it's not something we can do. I mean, no one can pour God's love into our hearts except God. No one can fill our hearts so much with God's love that, that everything else is pushed out except God. And Christian perfection, to grow in Christ's image, is, is not about something we do or, or work on or the steps we take, but rather it's about a, a deep and powerful surrender to God. The other week I used that image of Mother Teresa and the, the window to Christ that, you know, the more the window is clear, the better Christ can be seen by the world. And, and the more they see of us, the more we are in the way, the window's dirtied up, the less they see of Christ. This is about cleaning the window. This is about less of me so there can be more of God. And so I'm wondering as you move in your faith and in your walk of faith in Christ and you're thinking about how do I do this and what does it look like? Are you willing to enter in that place of deep surrender? I mean, really, what, what are you going on to? Are you willing to settle for just kind of a mediocre faith? Are you longing for Christian perfection? Are you longing, are you longing to be restored into that image of Christ, that original image of Christ. Going back to Paul's words in Romans, Eugene Peterson takes that passage of encouragement, and this is how he puts it. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. 
take your ordinary, every, everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So again, my friends, what are you going on to? Let's pray. And Father, we come and we do confess to you that too often we try to do this ourselves. And we find that we're, we're running out of energy. Um, we find that we're running out of patience. We're running out of ideas and, and nothing seems to improve and nothing seems to change. And we are desperate for something more. So we ask you to, to come and fill our hearts with your love. So fill them with your love that, that sin is pushed out from us. That we might be not simply made a little better, but that we might be fundamentally changed from the inside out. And that that change that you work in us might then flow out into the world around us. And Father, we come this morning and we offer ourselves, our, our lives, our, our everyday lives and everything we do, we offer that to you. And we bring it to you in deep surrender in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.